transmission incoming. Welcome to the Potential Picture Show. Let's do it. Episode 0082, The Lazy Temptation of Kevin. You've entered the Potable Picture Show, your podcast dedicated to motion pictures and drinking liquors. On this podcast, you will have Heathen on the News, a cocktail in Cocktail Corner, and in feature presentation, we will be taking on Martin Scorsese's 1988 religious opus, The Last Temptation of Christ. We have all this and more, so there's no need to wait around. Let's head up to the VIP booth at the top of the cantina and get today's show started. I was going to do an accent to open the show, but... Heathen always freezes me out with her icy glaze, or icy gaze. The the piercing coldness of her eyes can destroy a man's soul from within. <laughs> She's the head organizer of the Sierra Nevada Movie Club. She has 655 likes of her Easter eggs on Facebook. My Reno foodies group. Her name is Heathen. Hello. And uh, do you know some of the history of easter eggs why we have them what no. they symbolize i have no idea they're uh they're supposed to they have nothing to do with jesus yes but they maybe do it's the birth of yeah they're supposed to be the, they're supposed to be the resurrection of him coming from the cave oh. um it's one thing another thing they talked about is there's a story i think it's maybe uh mary magdalene i can't remember who it is and she's talking to one of the kings of Egypt or wherever it's at, and she has an egg in her hand. And and the king says something like, uh, you know, with Christ rising again is as likely as an egg to turn red in your hand. And another story is that the women watching him on the cross had put a basket of eggs at the foot of the cross, and they had turned red with the dripping of his blood. Hmm. Perhaps I have a correction from last week. Which reminds me that I may have forgotten. Oh, no, I remember now. But anyway, my correction from last week on last week's uh, This Day in Film History. I incorrectly said that Olivia Wilde was dating Aaron Rodgers. That is actually Olivia Munn, who will be playing Psylocke in, in X-Men. It's one of those things where you kind of know these things, but somewhere along the lines, you just got your wires crossed. See, I know Olivia Wilde. You got your Olivia's crossed? Well, it's weird because I knew Olivia Wilde was married or dating Jason Sudeikis, but when I thought that it, she was the one dating Aaron Rodgers, I was like, oh, that makes sense because what hot female actress would be dating Jason Sudeikis, who seems like a very nice guy from Kansas City, as Western Warlock would tell you. But it just doesn't make sense. But it turns out that Olivia Wilde, whose real name is Olivia Cockburn, I could see why she changed her stage name. Because who wants to be called Cockburn? Well, unless you're a porn star. I think Olivia Wilde's more of a of a porn name. Um, anyway, she's still married to Jason Sudeikis with kids. And Olivia Munn and Aaron Rodgers, as far as I know, are still dating. Oh. Super important stuff. Yeah, correction. But, uh, but anyway, this week in film history... In film history... So, Heathen, uh, do you know who Fatty Arbuckle is or was? 
No. Well, he was born on this day, March 24th, 19, I'm sorry, 1887. Uh, he lived a tragic life filled with success, scandal, and ultimately unfulfilled potential. When someone hears the name Fatty Arbuckle and they are not heathen, there is usually two associations for people. The first is the portly, genial, silent comedian, the slapstick knockabout guy, uh, the star at Keystone who worked alongside fellow comic giants like Harold Lloyd and was involved in helping Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton as they rose to fame. But then there's the other Fatty Arbuckle that a lot of people know about, the disgraced celebrity, the rapist, the murderer. Um, on September 5th, 1921, Arbuckle hosted a party in a San Francisco hotel where a wannabe actress, Virginia Rappi, attended. Two days later, she died, and as rumors grew and wild allegations were thrown about, Arbuckle found himself accused of rape and murder. William Randolph Hearst, you may have heard about him. He stoked the fires with false and sensational reporting, using the scandal to sell millions of newspapers. Uh, after three trials, Arbuckle was found innocent, but by this time his films had been banned. He was all but penniless and become, had become an emblem for the moral corruption of Hollywood. He slipped into alcoholism and had a troubled romantic life. Um, he did begin directing pseudonymously, and he was on the brink of a comeback in 1932 when tragically he died of a heart attack at the age of 32. And one thing that's interesting about <clears throat> this is, to me, not really too related, but... One of Chris Farley's next projects was going to be a like bio picture where he was going to play Fatty Arbuckle, and it was I was very interested in that because I like to see when these comedians take on serious roles because they usually do really well. Because as most comedians will tell you, uh, people get into comedy because it comes from a case uh, place of pain, and that usually for a lot of those people it makes them pretty good dramatic actors. I agree. And it kind of, well, it's got for the raping and murdering, somewhat mirrored some of Chris Farley's life. So, too bad. One of those things that you wish would have happened and never did. Anyway, that was this week in film history. If you're new to the show or just need a reminder, anytime that you hear this sound... Uh, that's, that's fine to hit this baby. Then have a drink of your swill, whatever it be. Today we are drinking the body of Christ. What is this body of Christ I'm drinking? This is a Merlot? Pacific Peak Merlot. From Total Wine. Hmm. All right, Heathen, you ready for some news aroos? Yes. Got some news aroos. Heathen's <laughs> headlines. <laughs> Last year, while making rounds to support his new memoir, actor Burt Reynolds discussed his failed relationship with actress Sally Field, whom he called the, the love, love of, of his, his life. life. Um, the two haven't spoken very much in years, but recently um, she was on a People editorial, or a, uh, sorry, she told EW and People editorial director Jess Cagle. Is that how you say it? C-A-G-L-E? It doesn't really matter. It's a magazine editor, whoever it is. Anyway. Um, during a recent Sirius XM town hall. Okay, so it was like they were a, a podcast. On the radio. Because I watched it. Um, that they don't really talk to each other. Um, Reynolds and Field... Uh, met in while making the 1977 film Smokey and the Bandit, mm -hmm. dated for five years series. in the 80s. And they asked Reynolds uh, frequently, saying that Fields was one of, was the one who got away, and the act uh, actress responded, well, yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting, because we're going to be seeing her movie. And somewhat interesting related to our film, to Last Temptation of Christ, is they wanted Sally Field to play Mary Magdalene instead of... Um, uh, whoever Herschel, I can't remember the name who ended up playing Mary Magdalene, but they wanted Sally Field to bear her titties. I would have been for that. She was a little hottie back in the seventies. Yes, yes, she was. And Burt Reynolds, great guy. But apparently, he fucked that relationship. Well, it's weird when you're close to death and you realize, you know, when you're almost dead, you think back on your eighty years of life and you're like, oh, I could have done that differently. 
Yeah, I know but he's what been that's doing this like. for years. Yeah, but that's the one that got away. Like, he doesn't care about the rest of them. He'll be sad when he goes. He guest host. He guested on Archer, and he showed up at a Comic Con this year. It's looking rather old. Mm-hmm. Next. Ever wonder why Andy's dad, or where Andy's dad was in Toy Story? Uh, he was working like a man, like a man's man. There are some bloggers have previously previously suggested that the dad had abandoned the family in the film, which explains why they had moved to a smaller house. Mm-hmm. The mom's not wearing a ring, and Andy having such an attachment to his male toys. It makes sense. However, the film director Lee, you can. Rich uh, actually spoke about the total lack of presence uh, Andy's dad has back in 2010. According to Mr. Toy Story himself, Andy's dad isn't in the film purely because he's not relevant to the toys. Um, There's some speculation or some talk of why they didn't even introduce a stepdad. um, And he says... It's just because uh, nothing's perfect in life, and if he brought a stepdad, then there would be some sort of, well, there's, there could be a, a normalcy or perfection, and he didn't even want to bring that into the No the need picture. for a stepdad. No need for a stepdad. No need for a dad. It's, so it's that's life. it. There's just no room for Andy's dad in the film. Yeah, it makes sense. There's been some interesting um, fan theories about the Toy Story movies and how they go together, and um, some of them are pretty far out there. But, yeah, not, not, nothing too strange there. Just a regular old family without a dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's the normal for you. So this just happened, but it started in 2002. James, I hit puberty. James Myers. Hello. James Fryer's might what happened? Rented uh, Freddy Got Fingered from his local J&J video store. For whatever reason, he didn't return the videotape. 14 years later, Myers is pulled over for a bad rake-like, rake light That's by the called. local police. His name and license was run, which is standard p- procedure, um, only to find out there's an outstanding warrant for a crime, failure to return rental property, which is a misdemeanor punishable for a fine up to $200. Um, he wasn't handcuffed be- there and arrested because he was driving his daughter to school, but the um, officer allowed him to turn himself in where he was arrested and handcuffed for the crime. I read that today. Yeah. A worse crime than the movie itself. Yeah. Was not returning the video. Actually, that should be that should be a welcome. As Eugene, who's on the podcast, will say, Freddie Got Fingered is comedy genius that most people just can't comprehend. Hmm. Do you think that's what ended Tom Green's career, or do you think it was Drew Barrymore? Or do you think it was the testicular cancer? I think it was Tom Green. Although apparently he never really went anywhere. He was still doing like his show ever since the 90s like on YouTube and stuff. It never went away. Just no one knew about so it. So my answer was right. All right. Let's head into Cocktail Corner. I see America drinking. Fabulous cocktails I make. America's getting stinking on something I stir or shake. Speaking of Brian Johnson having a drink on him, did you see that uh, uh, Guns N' Roses frontman Axl Rose may take over for the rest of the ACDC tour? Yay. And the official word from Angus Young, guitar player from ACDC, is no official word yet. Hmm. I could see Axel singing those songs. He's a, He's got a similar voice to, to Brian Johnson and Bon Scott. Mm-hmm. could see him. I could see him yelling out some Hell's Bells. Yeah, it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Well, that wouldn't be the first time. So blame Heathen for this cocktail. I'll let you take it away, Heathen. What do you need? What do you want me to hand you? Well, we're, what are we making? It's your cocktail. It's called Jesus Juice. All right. So what do you need? It's some ice cubes. Okay. Do you want me to hand you the ice cubes? Or no, no, you can just put them in there. 
How many? Maybe two. And four ounces of Malbec. Four ounces of Malbec red wine. This one is Red Diamond from Argentina. I like the word Argentinian. Argentinian red wine. This is uh, Malbec. I don't know how much four ounces it is. Um, that looks like good. about four ounces. That looks like about four ounces. Got this for about $8.97 at Winco. It's fantastic, really. And four ounces of Dr. Pepper. Oh, you could should have just said half and half. So, this will be interesting. I don't think I've had Dr. Pepper in red wine, but uh, many people mock me for my love of red wine and Coca-Cola. Uh, I particularly like red wine and Pinot Noir. It's uh, a drink of choice of one of the restaurants I used to work at. I used to make myself lots of Dixie cups full of red wine and Coca-Cola. That sounds awful. Wine snobs hate me, but you know what? You can go in a restaurant and order a wine spritzer or a wine cooler. Yeah, e- either that. with ones with uh, like uh, Sprite and ones with um, like seltzer. Yeah, I just so, like the seltzer. So what the heck's the difference with Dr. Pepper or Coca-Cola, I say to you? What are we toasting to, Heathen? Uh, national Cocktail Day. National Cocktail Day. Thank you, everybody, for your national cocktails. I gotta get a little gander what this wine tastes like without the Dr. Pepper, because I do not care for this cocktail. Well, they said that it was not a very good tasting thing, but I thought it was a fantastic themed drink for the podcast today. Jesus Juice. Jesus Juice, brought to you by Heathen. All right, I think that's about it on the front end of the show. Now, like some of my friends like, let's go to the back end. Well... Do you want to play a little trivia to maybe earn a sticker? Sure. I don't have the game sound on here. I'm ready. Okay, shall we play a game? It's just some trivia, and there's eight questions. Is this about Jesus? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. If you can answer, what, three, you'll get a sticker? I don't know. I used to know a lot about it. They're pretty easy. Not for me. Well... I think you can answer a lot of them because of the movie. All right. I'll give it a try. I'll try. What town were Mary and Joseph from? Nazareth. Good. Because I was going to be like, it was from last night. I was trying to think of it as a trick question. Love hurts. That's who sings. Maybe we should say if you can do half. That's Nazareth. I can um, always take the front what half. What was Joseph's occupation? He was also a... Carpenter. Mm-hmm. And who informed Mary that she would be having a child? An angel, an archangel. And was it Mike? You were right. Gabriel. Who? What town was Jesus born in? Bethlehem. Jesus. Jesus' birth took place in a, a barn. Stable. Okay. <laughs> this is little kid trivia. I thought it would be fun. I'm surprised I'm getting these. Um, who was the king that was ordered that baby Jesus be killed? Oh, baby Jesus. That was Herod? King? King who? I don't know. I, I King Herod? I don't know. Mm-hmm, you're right. Okay. Where did Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus uh, flee in order to escape Jesus' death? Motel 6 with Tom Bodet. I'll leave on a lap for you. Close. Uh, I don't. I can't remember. Nazarene. Uh, I don't well, know. Well, they left. Bethlehem. There. Egypt. Oh well, I wish I should have said Egypt. That's where everyone goes to the Egypt. And then Moses said, "Let my people go." Well, then, uh, if you know, why don't I did, you say I didn't it? know. All right. I, How I, did the wise men know that the star represented the birth of a king? Because it was bright. <laughs> Hint. It was in the north. It was their occupation. They were astrologers. Very good. They were they were uh, magi, I believe, too, the wise men, which is 
basically, you know, a bunch and of hucksters. Now all of a sudden, hoaxsters. they're just a bunch of hoaxsters, even though back in the day, there were astrologers. Interesting. Yeah. It was interesting. I, I'm surprised I got those. I'm glad those were easy because I used to study. Uh, I, I actually, if it wasn't even more of a waste of a major than my own major, I was very interested in religions, mostly Eastern religions, but I would read a lot about... Um, not really the text, but like the stories behind the text. I like reading like, you know, the National Geographic, like who really was Jesus kind of thing, you know, and like how, you know, Jesus maybe went to India to study. Like all of that, I think is really interesting. Jesus is just all right with me. All right. And you got a sticker. What kind of motorhome does he drive? And he built my race car. A VW bus. All right. You ready for feature? Actually an Airstream. So this week in feature presentation, we are taking a themed movie, an Easterly type movie. We're taking, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Martin Scorsese's 1988 film, The Last Temptation of Christ, with a runtime of two hours and 44 minutes. So he then, I've got, as uh, often, I've got some notes and some trivia. I don't really have too many formal topics, so jump in anytime. Uh, mostly, I'm just going to start first with just the overview of the movie. So, this is, uh, as I said, directed by Martin Scorsese, written by Paul Schrader, with uncredited rewrites from Scorsese and Jay Cox. The film is a adaptation of Nikos Kazazakis' controversial 1953 novel of the same name. I totally butchered that last name. I'm not sure... Um, how you pronounce that. So this film has Willem Dafoe as Jesus, Harvey Keitel as um, Judas, Barbara Hershey, who I couldn't remember his name earlier, plays Mary. We also have Andre Gregory, Harry Dean Stanton, and we have David Bowie. Uh, This film was shot entirely in Morocco. So, like the novel, the film depicts the life of Jesus Christ and his struggle with the various forms of temptation, including fear, doubt, depression, reluctance, and lust. This results in the book and film depicting Christ being tempted by imagining himself engaging in sexual activities, a notion that has caused outrage from some Christians. The film includes a disclaimer at the very beginning of the movie uh, from the book's author explaining that it does depart from the commonly accredited biblical portrayal of Jesus' life and is not based on the Gospels. It's sort of almost like an Oliver Stone interpretation of what that could have been like. Scorsese did receive an Academy Award nomination for Best Director. Um, Barbara Hershey's performance as Mary Magdalene earned her a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress nomination. Although it wasn't all just accolades for this film, Harvey Keitel's performance as Judas did earn him a Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Supporting Actor nomination. The Razzies, the anti-Oscars. Which is interesting because, you know, anyway, I didn't... Interesting to, to, to hire Harvey Keitel. Uh, some other awards this film won. The soundtrack, composed by Peter Gabriel, received a Golden Globe Award nomination for Best Original Score for a Motion Picture. And when it was released on CD with the title Passion, it won a Grammy in 1990 for Best New Age Album. So I didn't know that Peter Gabriel had won a New Age Album Grammy, and I didn't know that he did the soundtrack for this. I must have missed that in the titles. That's interesting. Um, so as I mentioned, uh, this is one of those weird cases where it basically was only nominated for one thing, Best Director, and that doesn't usually, um, if a film's usually nominated for Best Director, it's usually nominated for other awards as well. It did lose out that year to Barry Levinson, who directed Rain Man. The other films of that year were Working Girl, A Fish Called Wanda, Mississippi Burning. Um, so 
I guess Rain Man was it was a pretty popular movie. I could definitely see it winning Best yeah, Director. I can see why it wouldn't have won. All right, so a couple facts here, if you find any of these interesting. Willem Dafoe could not see for three days because he got too many eye drops to uh, dilate the pupils of his eyes in bright sunlight to achieve a super superhuman effect. Um, Martin Scorsese banned smoking from the set, um, partially because he's a sphere asthmatic, but also he wanted to avoid any photographs being taken of actors play, playing biblical characters, mostly Willem Dafoe, who smoked at the time. He didn't want pictures of them taken with cigarettes hanging out of their mouths. For whatever reason. That seems like a good idea. Oh, there's Jesus smoking. Yeah. Uh, Universal Pictures only agreed to produce the film as Scorsese then did a commercial film for them, and that was Cape Fear, um, his remake, or a remake, not his, I guess it was his remake as well. Uh, something that's pretty noticeable in this film, and it goes along with the Harvey Keitel thing. Most of the Jews uh, in the film have American accents, primarily from the New York region, while the Romans, like David Bowie, has a British accent. Um, uh, there was a comedian that tried to get Bowie to do a Scottish accent because there was uh, historical evidence that, uh, what's his name, Pilot, Pilates Pilot, whatever his name is, had studied in Scotland or, or did something in Scotland. Um, most of the apostles with speaking parts are played by actors from the New York City area. Scorsese wanted the apostles to speak with urban New York accents because he saw the apostles as street guys. So I kind of see that now, although, like I said, Harvey Keitel kind of takes me a little bit out of it. He's like, hey, oh, Jesus. This movie, uh, as, as we know, has a, has a lot of controversy around it. It was banned or censored in several countries including Argentina, Chile, Mexico, and Turkey. The film is still banned in Singapore and the Philippines. This was as of 2010. I don't know if it's been lifted since then. I'm going to say it hasn't. It was judged so controversial by some French fundamentalist Catholics that they went as far as torching a couple of cinemas releasing the film, both in Paris um, and uh, Bess... I don't know the name of that city, causing one death and several serious injuries among the audience. Due to several threats from religious groups, Martin Scorsese had to be accompanied by bodyguards during public appearances for some time after the movie's release. A number of theater chains refused to screen the film. I remember this um, when I was a kid. I might have been junior high, 6th, 7th grade. I'm trying to guess 1988 was probably around there. I remember this um, always being on the news at the time and that either um, people were boycotting the film or it was just getting so much press that people wanted to go see it. Also, uh, so one of the theater chains, General Cinemas, they later did apologize to Martin Scorsese. Um, later, when the film was released on um, like VHS and Laserdisc, there were stores like notably Blockbuster refused to carry it. And even before it got made, it sat around on a desk for a lot of years. Uh, uh, Scorsese's family didn't want him to do it. His lawyer advised him against him doing it. And of course, the studio had trouble uh, wanting to do it. So to get it made, Scorsese offered to shoot the film for a minimum of 58 days for $7 million, which was half the original budget. And um, due to the time constraints, uh, Scorsese developed what he called a minimalist aesthetic. Many scenes were improvised and worked out on the run with little rehearsal and preparation. Uh, Scorsese, his quote is, we worked in a state of emergency. One of the examples of that budget kind of cut thing is when Jesus is in the temple and uh, when he's kind of leading um, all of the, his followers to tear the temple down and they're waiting on his word and you see all the Roman soldiers kind of surrounding him and coming at him, it appears they're coming from him from all sides and they're jumping down. It's the same five soldiers that are used in each shot. They just shoot them coming from five or four different directions. So this was to save money. They couldn't afford extra actors. There's a part, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, there's a man in the crowd. This is 
um, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount scene. There's a man in the crowd that says, nothing good comes from Nazareth. That was Antonio Banderas that said that line. Mm. A young Antonio Banderas. Younger. Um, so that's most of my trivia. Um, generally, this film was well-received among critics. Roger Ebert gave it four out of four. Generally, um, aggregate sites like Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic, they give it somewhere around the mid-80s, 80, 82, 85%. As far as what critics think, um, Roger Ebert uh, said, this is his quote, he said that the script and Scorsese, quote, paid Christ the compliment of taking him and his message seriously, and they have made a film that does not turn into a garish, emasculated image from a religious postcard. He is flesh and blood, struggling, questioning, asking himself and his father which is the right way, and mm -hmm. finally, after great suffering, earning the right to say on the cross, it is accomplished. Ebert later included the film in his list of great movies. Writers at NNDB, which I think is Notable Names Database, they claim that Paul Schrader's screenplay and Willem Dafoe's performance were perhaps the most honestly Christ-like portrayal of Jesus ever filmed. I... <clears throat> really agree with that after watching it um i really like the way that they definitely portrayed the the movie <clears throat> so this is where most of the controversy comes in it's not that people mind that uh as the disclaimer says at the beginning that jesus um had had to deal with the duality of being man and god and a lot of Christians say that's great if you want to show that, show that he was maybe lonely or that he would get aggravated with his disciples. What the controversy comes from is they felt that even um, though Jesus was human, that he didn't f suffer from some of the same human foilables, foilables? <laughs> that even though he might have... Um, had these things he didn't wasn't tempted by them, or he, them he, right. he, and, <clears throat> that's ridiculous and that he was um he was basically even though a man he, he didn't they said he didn't have sin and particularly the part they really don't like is the part where jesus gets here's a spoiler if you haven't seen the film go see it <laughs> it's come out several years ago at the end of the movie, when Jesus is tricked by the devil and leaves the cross and goes and has his life, most people are really upset of his um, sexual relationship that they show, uh, even though it's very briefly that he has uh, sex with Mary and that he has kids and all of that. And, you know, that part um, I hadn't remembered when I saw this movie. I saw this movie years and years ago when it first came out, and I didn't remember the end of the movie. So all of that was basically new to me about like the um, alternative reality that could have been Jesus. The alternative ending? Yeah, well, the alternative ending to our life, I suppose, because everything just would have become Armageddon. He wouldn't have died for our sins, and they kind of allude to that in the film. So it's it's interesting. Like I said, it's, as I said, sort of an Oliver Stone take, a, a what if. I liked it. And I thought it was really, really creative about how they tied it in where he was like the devil said I'd be back and... I was like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, and I liked, I liked, I actually um, thought Willem Dafoe was pretty good as a white Jesus, as good as a Jesus could be. I couldn't remember how well he was. He's a very interesting looking guy. I can't remember uh, what he looked like when he was younger. I mostly just remember him from the Spider-Man movies. I was kind of worried that they were going to keep it really white. Like, I liked how they kept it all really Middle Eastern. It was pretty white. I mean, it was all I'm New talking Yorkers. About, well, I'm talking about they could have made it where... And David Bowie, the white duke. Where Jesus is from... Not from the equator area. He's from, you know, like, 
Europe or something. Well, they did very much make him look like the Western Jesus as opposed to, you know, what the Jesus probably looked well, like. Well, he still was pretty dirty, so that was good. <laughs> okay. I mean... Yeah. I like the portrayal. I'm and saying I think... that they, they still had everybody in character as far as where they were located, where he probably was from or where he was from. I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure <clears throat> that I agree with that part but um this is still something going on in hollywood definitely where they continuously cast white actors to play egyptians and middle easterns like the recent movie ridley scott movie about egypt where every single person and it's white talking about the dress though i mean they didn't okay well anyway Maybe I'm not explaining myself. I'm not sure about that. Um, That kind of reminds me, Barbara Hershey again, uh, the budget was so low that she was up to her instead of a makeup artist. She had to keep reapplying like her hentai tattoos. Hentai is not the right thing. I think that's the porn. Her hentai tattoos. Um, But what uh, what I was going to say about that. um, Yeah, I think that he did a, a good role. I thought that he was portrayed... The struggle, something that could have turned out really cheesy. I thought it turned out really interesting. I think it's an interesting um, idea, especially how it starts, where he's just, he's got, it starts where he's got God in his head and he hates it and he wants him out of there. And he even asks his mom, like, uh, she's like, you sure it's the God or is it the devil? Because we can cast the devil out. And he's like, but we can't cast out God. Like, he, he hates it. He hates the burden of it. And the voices, and he's filled with guilt. And he, as he says, he wants God to hate him and punish him. He doesn't want all of that. And um, kind of, kind of interesting. One scene that I liked is when he took himself out of the followers and went off on his own and made a circle around him. Yeah, in the desert, he wanted to go try to see because uh, he, he was always unsure of God's direction what he wanted him to do he's like you keep telling me these things but i don't know um and that part basically he was like do i live by the heart or do i live by the axe well i liked how the animals were coming to to tempt him yeah how satan came in the the different forms Mm -hmm. the uh, voice of satan was the voice of a screenwriter called, I think, Peeping Tom, which was a film from 1970 that Martin Scorsese really liked. So just another weird cameo in there. Um, so let's see. So we see, um, we meet Jesus and Judas pretty early on. Judas was sent to kill him for collaboration, but he decides to give him a pass because he thinks he might be the Messiah. And he's like, "I'll, I'll just see where you go, but if you stray off the path, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you." And then, and then they go visit John the Baptist, which just looks like some weird hippie uh, Pentecostal church or something, with a bunch of people freaking out in the river and dancing naked. This is something. Another another thing that some of the Christians don't they, they they there's just certain things they don't think are very true to fact or that don't make sense. So John the Baptist and Jesus probably should have known each other. They were some sort of cousins, and also they should have been similar in age. Well, they kissed, so there was obviously a there was a lot a of recognition there. Kissing um, the. Well, I don't think that was recognition because he to asked me, that's him. What I... John the Baptist kept asking him, "Who are you? Why are you here? What are you doing here?" That's how they first meet, and he asked him who he is, and and Jesus says, "Yes, I, I took it in a different way." Like, um, you know, it said, "Do you know the prophets? Do you know what they say?" And he's like, "Oh, so you're the Messiah." But also among, um, in in early, uh, so there's. A lot of historical and religious debate about Jesus's and Mary's relationship, and there is um, words that says that Mary was among the favorite of Jesus's disciples, and he loved her more than the others, and he often kissed her. But people say that doesn't mean a love or that kind of love relationship that. In that time, it was often uh, common practice for 
um, like Christian followers or people following the faith to kiss each other as like um, a welcome, I mm-hmm. guess, the way, you know, some Europeans kiss each other. Uh, so John the Baptist, that part was all weird, but at least you get to see some more titties. And then we talk about the part where he does go out to the desert and he tries to get tempted a bunch of times. And it's kind of a weird scene where he decides he doesn't know if to do the axe or the heart. And then he uh, comes out of the desert and he meets Martha and Mary and they kind of nurse him back to, to help and give him some food. And then he goes back to his followers and basically rips his heart out of his chest and shows them that love is the way. And uh, and then after this, he's sort of super Jesus, and he can do lots of powers, like raising people from the dead, Lazarus. Um, yeah, that was a sad scene when they killed him. That made me sad. And then that's when they go to the temple scene I was talking about, because Jesus wants to tear down the temple for several reasons. One, it's he doesn't like that it's treated as a marketplace. Also, and, and I liked this particular because this is something that i somewhat dislike about religion in modern time is he tells the people i don't think that religion doesn't belong in a temple it belongs to everybody it doesn't just belong to can afford it it belongs everywhere to every man uh that's that's fine to hit this baby and um so that's when he goes to tear down the temple actually he goes once and then he uh, and then he leaves, and then he decides to come back to tear it down. And um, he he's basically, even though he's super Jesus, he he pussies out a lot. And he's standing there on the stairs, just waiting for a word. All of his men are saying like, "Let's do it." Everyone's there, "Let's do it." There's only those five soldiers that we told you about, and he's got like our army of Jews behind him, and and God doesn't really give him the sign, except for he well he does give him the sign. He gives him the stigmata, the blood. When that's the sign is like this isn't your way to die, pussy. You got to die on the cross. You got to really. Why do you keep calling him a pussy? That's not. Well, in the movie, in the movie, not being a pussy. That's the right way. So stop saying it. Well, in the movie, he's very frustrating when you say that. He's he's kind of a pussy in the movie. He's very cowardly. He says that. He says says that. uh, That's maybe how he feels, but that's actually the right way to go. He's taking the higher road. He says that, um, I can't remember who he's talking to, if it's uh, Judas, but he says that his God is fear, that he's almost everything he does is out of fear, that he wants to uh, rebel against God, but he's too afraid of it, that he mm-hmm. um, looks at women, but he's, he's too afraid to do anything about it. His, it's, his like, he's like, it's not because I'm a good a person. Human. He says, it's not because I'm a good person. I'm just afraid to do anything. Um yeah, but not all humans are, are that big of pussies. Um, and then here's another part I liked in the movie I thought was interesting and something I, I think is somewhat universal. And so years later in this alternate Jesus history where he goes and he has the kids and he, and he becomes old is that he comes across Peter and Peter is... Um, you know, up in the square sermonizing about Jesus and all these things that Jesus did and and how he gave up his life and saved us for our sins and everything. And then Jesus says, what the, what the hell are you talking about, man? That's, that's not what happened. I'm Jesus. I didn't do any of those things. You're lying. You're a liar. This man's a liar. And Peter says that, uh, I'm sorry, not Peter, but Paul, Paul says, you're not my Jesus. No. Paul says it doesn't matter if that happened or not. It's the words that matter. Like people need to hear the words. You look around, you see how miserable everyone is. They need, they need the, even if this isn't the truth, this is the truth that they need. Mm-hmm. They don't need your truth. They he need also this said, truth. You're not my Jesus. Well, yeah, he has a fake Jesus. Um, Which is kind of what happens now. Everybody has their own. Their own reason to, to Jesus. go. <laughs> own personal Jesus like uh like Depeche Mode. So in the movie near the end of his of his life in the alternate reality all the old or a lot of the old disciples come back to see him and 
and Judas is pissed because in this version of the movie, Judas wasn't the betrayer. He betrayed Jesus because Jesus made him to, and this basically like destroyed Judas. So this is something else that the Christian historians say, like, I don't know about making Jesus, Judas the 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 un un you know kind of a hero or whatever, or like you know this role. So Jesus says, I mean, it's for a good reason. He says, "You have to betray me because I have to die. I have to die on the cross. I have to be crucified." And 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 so Judas is, you know, um, in this alternate reality when he ends really up. I really liked that spin where they they made him the um, betrayer. Like I liked that. It's almost better than the Bible. So <laughs> in the part. alternate reality. <laughs> Judas is pissed because not only is he made to betray Jesus, which he doesn't want to do and basically makes him just a Judas, that it's for no reason because Jesus just pussies out and decides to go out and fuck a bunch of women as the uh, as his fake guardian angel tells him, um, Mary has many faces or whatever he keeps saying. He's basically just saying there's a bunch of fish in the sea. Like, there's this one Mary, but when she dies, there's another Mary you can go fuck. And then there's another Mary over here. And I was like, I like this. I like this guardian angel. <laughs> of course she would. <laughs> and, um, and because God is full of forgiveness or whatever it is that uh, Jesus has, uh, surpasses his final temptation, which is having all those kids and growing old and having a, a, a full life with kids and grandkids and multiple women. And he decides to crawl back to the cross and say, um, please forgive me. Can, can, I, can I be God's son? Um, something like that. And he goes back up on the cross and then we fast forward to time and that's what we have today. No, I thought it was rewind back to. Well, yeah, but I mean, and then today, we never had that alternate Jesus reality with him and kids. I and didn't everything. really agree with that, only because that's the only thing that I don't really like about this particular religion is you can. keep doing bad things or you you know as long as you ask for forgiveness i mean that's fine if you ask for forgiveness and you're forgiven and you don't do it again um through the religion but it's the people who go and into confession and then the next week they're beating their wives again yeah yeah I, ten I, hail marys or whatever it's those people that really freak me out yeah, I kind of joke about it sometimes with with people about that, I, and I, I joke about it. But I mean, it's not a serious joke. I don't really mean what I say, but but it's kind of what you're saying. And one thing that's interesting about it, I'm sure there's lots of cultures that do this, and I haven't experienced all of them. But the Philippines is a very highly Catholic culture, like um, Italy. And the Philippines is exactly what you're talking about. They're super Catholic. Everyone goes to mass on Sunday. It's very important. You see it, Jesus. Um, cross it everywhere but most of the men there still have their women on the side when it's not Sunday and you know all of this other thing it's just this so it's not to me it's not the religion just like I was saying when they talk about religion doesn't belong at a temple I, I, I don't typically criticize a religion it's more the the people the hypocrisy hypocrisy and the the man the the, the I mean we can go back to um, you know, the, the televangelist with the money and the Jessica Hahn, and it's just all of this hypocrisy and uh, manipulation and the things that you even see uh, people doing to their own families in the name of religion and wars in the name of religion, things like that. Um, but yeah, the other part, the forgiveness part is hard. I think that's the hardest part of the religion and it's the part that you know it's hard for jesus to get across to the people in the movie like um judas says um if if i'm something like if i'm wrong i'm sorry if a man hits me i'm gonna kill him like i i can't turn the other cheek it's not in me i'm not i'm not that good of a person and yeah that's really hard i've i 
struggle with that sometimes when I think about things or I think about things that people have done to other people and it's not that I forgive them and I'm not I wouldn't say I'm necessarily a very Christian person but how much more hate and violence is gonna it's not gonna fix anything it's not gonna fix the original problem you know that whole eye for an eye thing doesn't it might work on a grand scale for you know crime if someone steals something cut off a hand but if someone hurts someone in my family and I go hurt someone in their family does that really solve anything no but that's something that I know I liked the message of the movie that it was mostly about love yeah it was very hippie-ish to me it was very hippie mm-hmm. bunch of dirty people and I loved it river and people dirty people hanging out of the crawling with, out of the with ditches. the spirit animals the snake and the lion, those were different spirit animals. I mean, yeah, they were the devil, but they were animals, spirit animals trying to speak to him in different lights. So I thought it was really, the whole movie was really interesting. If I could get my mom to watch it, I think she would <laughs> enjoy it. But Yeah, the lion was pretty interesting. He's mm-hmm. like, who are you? He's like, I'm your ego. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's like, you want everything. You want ultimate power. You want You want to be the big boss around here. Um, one thing I wanted to review again is how this story kind of reminded me a little bit of if you read the like Siddhartha or the origins of the Buddha about how he went through some similar things, how he sat under the Bodhi tree and how his devil came and tried to tempt him. It was basically a lot of the same things, like tried to tell him to give up and um, Siddhartha is basically, from a really short book, is is him walking around dealing with the hungers of man and trying to get rid of them. So I was like, wow, seeing this movie, I don't see a lot of crossovers in Western and Eastern religion. A lot of Eastern religions very similar. A lot of Western religions very similar. But I really saw similarities in this movie and That's a lot of I the tales of, of Buddha. I was trying to say earlier was that I saw... And the and the message of of every um, everyone's my brother again is is kind of not necessarily exactly what Buddhism is saying. It's not really your brother. Everyone is you. Um, you know, you, why would you hurt yourself? Why would you hurt all of these things? But um, Jesus in this movie, he's saying the first thing we need to heal is the soul before we heal the body, because a healthy body is just going to be corrupted again. And a lot of the other people are fighting against him. They're like, let's get the Romans out of Israel, and then we can work on religion. And he's like, no, then you're just going to have someone else to take the place of that. And I'm not really about war. I'm not about violence, because mm-hmm. even though they hurt us, they're they're all brothers of or sons of God or whatever. So well, again, he did also talk about ants being important. Yeah, when I see their shiny black eyes, I see the face of God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it all paths lead to the same road, I believe. And I think... This movie was right along the way, and this movie was is a pretty old movie, so it's still it was true. It was worth seeing again, uh, a little bit longish for me, especially the alternate reality. I was like, "How far is this gonna go?" <laughs> and and is what where is this leading to? As I said, I didn't really remember it. All right, so are you ready for a rank? The five. Okay, here are five things. You rank these on Temptations of Heather. Which of these would be Temptations? You rank them however you want, from most Temptatious to least Temptatious. Tantalized? Tempting, I think is the word. Tempting? I like Temptatious. Yeah, I like Temptatious. All right, so we have a Cadbury egg. (laughs) Um... Conan O'Brien is at your house, and he happened to leave the door a little bit open while he's changing clothes. How tempted are you to sneak a peek? Mm. The snooze button. Cheating at a board game. Uh, A salesperson accidentally gave you an extra $20 as change. How tempted are you to keep it? Jeez, I thought these were going to be all like my actual temptations. None of those tempt you? Maybe the egg. All right, so is that your number one temptation, the Cadbury egg? Mm. If you're in a circle and those five things come to tempt you out of the circle, which would be the least tempting to get you to leave the circle? Um, well, Conan and Brian. 
You don't want to sneak a peek just just out of curiosity? No. Just, you know you're not going to get caught? No. I'm good. You don't want to see what that fire bush looks like? No, I'm okay. All right. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Number four? uh, Cheating at a board game. Cheating at a board game, even if you could get away with it? Uh, I'd rather have the 20 bucks. Pontius Pilate was David Bowie. Uh, so number three is the 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. What's number two? Uh, Cadbury egg mm-hmm. and the snooze button. Are you a fan of the snooze button? Well, not really, but... but it's but... tempting. It might tempt you out of the circle. Yeah. All right. I do like myself a Cadbury egg. <laughs> not the original kind, but the caramel Cadbury egg. Oh, I, I, I prefer the original, although I don't know if I could eat them anymore. All right, so that was our feature temptation, <laughs> feature presentation <laughs> for this week. Let's head into Last Call. Last Call. Looking at the world through the bottom of a glass. Which All I have. I see is a man who's Last Call. So we'll probably do one more podcast before April, and then we'll take a month off. It's like our mid-season break. I don't drink in April, so no sense in doing a drinking podcast during that time. We did skip last week. We were going to do the movie Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. I didn't really have enough that I wanted to say about the movie that I felt like doing a podcast about it. Because nobody liked it but me. I guess I could have done a podcast on my own. So what do you think? It doesn't matter if I like it or not. There's still things to be said about a movie. Even if I don't like it, I actually usually have more to say about a movie I didn't like. I just didn't have much to say about the movie. Uh, next week, we will be, uh, should be talking about the film Hello, My Name is Doris. Yay! Starring the Fantastic. Old, I was going to say old Sally Field and one of the guys I really don't like from My Name is Jess. What's the name of that show? The Girl Next Door. Yeah. Girl next door. I, yes. I I hate I hate pretty much everyone on the show oh except for God. her, and I don't understand how that guy in the show is supposed to be like so hot. Anyway, don't see how anyone in that show is supposed to be attractive to women. I have been looking forward to this movie, and I'm really excited. So. All right. So until next time, everybody, keep it wet. All my neighbors are fast asleep, and I can't find anything to drink. Mackenzie's drank all the great alcohol, so I'm headed down the street to first call. Me and the bad were staying up late. Kitty and Victor got dropped from the plate, but no one was contented with the Wednesday wassail, so I said it's only four short. Brought the first call.
Shut the fuck up. He said I waited until the podcast was over and you're telling me to shut up? Yep. Time to prepare. Bunch of foolishness.